We turn in God's Word this evening to the Gospel of Matthew, the 28th chapter. Matthew chapter 28. going to be reading verses 1 through 10, and then we're going to go to 16 through 20. 1 through 10, and then 16 through 20 of Matthew chapter 28. Let's hear the breathed out word of God. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. They came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers, go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is far the reading of God's word. Let's again bow in prayer. Shall we pray? Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, thank you once again for your word. And we pray that you'll be with Pastor Bob tonight as, you, as he brings this word to us. Father, it's a familiar passage, but uh, dear Lord, you have something in mind for us this evening. Open our hearts and our minds uh, to your spirit and to your work that we will not leave here unchanged, Father, but will be uh, further equipped in your kingdom. All this in the precious name of our Savior alone we pray. Amen. Amen. It's rather interesting as you look at the various gospel accounts and Pick it up, starting with the resurrection and then that which happens between the resurrection and that which follows in the book. Some of them, such as Matthew, is very short. Very little information is actually given to us about that time period after his resurrection and before his ascension. The Apostle John gives us the most by far of all of the gospel writers. Many of those conversations that we have been looking at come to us from John's gospel. Now we're back in it once again. We're looking at those conversations that Jesus has with his followers 
between the resurrection and his ascension. As I mentioned this morning, I want to thank many of you who attended our uh, joint service with Walker on Thursday night. You heard the last one, Thursday night. The last statements of Jesus as far as his earthly ministry before his ascension were given there just before he ascends. Here, however, we need to back things up. We need to go back into that context of that time period. I want to look at four things, and the first three are going to come very quickly. So the first one is, where is this great commission given? Well, that's why I wanted to set the context by reading Matthew 28, 1 through 10, because it ends... In verse 10, with Jesus saying to them, go to Galilee, there you will see me. Now what we skipped in the interlude in verses 11 through 15 is that which is going on in Jerusalem through the guards and the the rumor that is spread, the lie that is spread about the resurrection that the disciples came and stole the body. But if we we read it without that, notice how it flows. Jesus says... Go to Galilee, there they will see me. Verse 16, now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. You see how 10 and 16 flow together. Jesus said, go to Galilee. They went to Galilee, to to the place that Jesus had directed them. Now that must have happened in the interlude, in some time Prior to this, perhaps in that evening that John records or in that event eight days later, Jesus had told them, now that the Feast of Unleavened Bread is done, now that you are going to be traveling back to Galilee, here's the place you are to go. Some commentators believe that this is perhaps the Mount of Transfiguration that he goes back to. There is nothing in the text that would definitely tell us that other than the fact that Jesus directs them to a particular mountain in Galilee. And this is not the ascension. That is clear. Because if you go to Luke chapter 24, where Luke describes for us at the end of his gospel, the ascension, as a wrap-up to to the gospel, listen to what Luke writes. Verse 50. Then... He led them out as far as Bethany. And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continual in the temple, blessing God. Acts chapter 1, Luke's continuation of the events tells us a little bit more detail about the ascension But he's already told us where it took place. Outside of Bethany. Not in Galilee. So these are two distinct events. The words that end Matthew 28 are not Jesus' last words upon earth. I only say that because oftentimes that's the way they're referred to. 
People will often say, oh, the last thing Jesus said is, go therefore and make disciples. Well, not exactly. Not, that, that's not exactly correct. Technically, it's actually wrong. Now, the words that we do have in Acts are very close to it, but they are not the Great Commission because this is given in Galilee. Secondly, when is it given? All I can tell you is that it's after the resurrection and before the ascension. This trip to Galilee, this, this time when the disciples go to Galilee, they're, they're, they're there in Jerusalem, we know at least for eight days. Then they go to Galilee, but then Jesus instructs them not to leave Jerusalem, but stay in Jerusalem. So there's, there's apparently a lot of going back and forth. Which would make sense, wouldn't it? Because between his ascension, between his resurrection and his ascension is a 40-day period of time. But it also is a 40-day period of time between two Jewish feasts. After the Feast of Unleavened Bread, what do the disciples do? They go back to Galilee. There Jesus meets them. There we have them fishing in the Sea of Galilee. Then Jesus instructs them, go to Jerusalem. The ascension occurs. Jesus says, now stay in Jerusalem until the Spirit comes. Why are they back in Jerusalem? Because there's another feast. The Jewish feast of Pentecost. So, of course, they'd come back to Jerusalem to celebrate the Jewish feast, but Jesus is going to transform that feast. That's why he tells them to stay. Thirdly, who is this great commission given to? Let's go back to Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. Who? Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain. When they saw him, they worshipped him. Some doubted. Jesus came and said to them. Who is the them of verse 18? It's the eleven disciples. Nothing has changed since they were introduced to us in verse 16. It is the disciples to whom Jesus gave this charge. But as the disciples, they are the representatives of the church. This is not something that was given to 11 men to carry out that could then, once they've done it, nobody else needs to do it anymore. After Peter does his share, John does his share, Thomas does his share, Nathaniel does his share. After they each do their part, okay, task is done. We can take the Great Commission set it aside, and say, mission accomplished. The 11 disciples did their part. Now, the fact that Jesus chose these 11 disciples to whom he gives this commission, they are not standing there as Peter, James, John, Philip, Thomas. They're not standing there as individuals. They are standing there as the church of Jesus Christ. 
Jesus is giving to them, the church, to us, the church, this responsibility. You say, but there is something different here, isn't there? Yes, there is. There's not 120 people there. This is not all of the followers. We are told upon one occasion during this time period between the resurrection and ascension, Jesus appeared to 500 at one time. But there's not 500 here, are there? Here there are only 11. Here there are only the disciples. Representative of the church, but representative of the leaders of the church. It is the responsibility of the leaders of the church to make sure that the church does that which it has been commissioned to do. This is what sets upon the shoulders. Are you, as the church, doing all? That's not so much a question for you as individual members to ask as it is for us as the leaders of the church to be saying, are we doing that which needs to be done to fulfill the commission that Christ has given to us? In other words, Jesus is giving not just to his disciples, not just to the church, not just to the leaders, but to those who are given the command and the responsibility of setting direction for the church of Jesus Christ. That is not done by vote. That is not done by democracy. This responsibility, this commission that Christ gives to the church is a responsibility that must be done. And church leaders are responsible to make sure that this is being done. So, answering the question of where, answering the question of when, answering the question of who, brings us then to the question, well, what is exactly is Jesus saying? What is this commission that Christ is bringing? The first thing I'd say is he comes to them with the basis, the foundation. Under his authority. That which is the church, that which the church is called to do, it does under the authority of Jesus Christ. Doesn't do it because it's written on a piece of paper as its mission statement. It does it. It fulfills. It seeks to fulfill this commission that Christ gives to the church because it's Christ who gives it. Notice how he begins. Verse 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Not just some authority, not just partial authority, not just a little bit of authority. All 
authority has been given to me. Now we could back this all up and say, there again we find in a statement of Jesus where Jesus is claiming divinity. Jesus is claiming equality with the Father. And for those who, who want to say, well, Jesus was, was a great teacher, but I don't know, is he divine? How can you be a great teacher if this is a lie? It isn't a lie. It's the truth. All authority has been given to Jesus. He is God. The one who has all authority, the one who is sovereign, is Christ authority and it is in that authority of Christ mindful of that authority of Christ that the church is to fulfill the commission that is given second thing I'd have you know is the first word of verse 19 go go but actually that's not the way the Greek makes it it's the way that we in English seek to make it say something. But what Jesus is really saying is this. All authority has been given to me. Therefore, you having already gone. See, this is not all authority is mine. Man, I got to tell you to go? Let me give you this scenario. This is taking place in the backdrop of Christ's victory over sin, over death, over hell, over the grave. This is in the context of Christ's resurrection, his glorious victory. So let's put this in, a, in terms of a glorious victory. Let's suppose that there is a sports team that you have long been following. Maybe it's a college team. Maybe it's a professional team. And it's been a long, long, long time since they've won a national championship in anything. Let's imagine the students on that campus. The day after their team, their college team, or if it's professional, the city, has won the national championship, the World Series, the Super Bowl, the NBA Finals, whatever it is you have, the Stanley Cup. Does anybody need to tell anybody, go out on the streets and celebrate? Does the chancellor of the school need to issue a proclamation? Now that we have won the championship, I urge all of you as students to go out upon the streets and celebrate this glorious victory. You go, no, nobody needs to tell anybody to do that. They just naturally go. That's exactly what Jesus has in mind here. Having won the victory, having been given all the authority, all the power. I know that you will naturally have gone. 
I don't need to command you to go. I don't need to order you to go. I know that you will go. I know you're going to go. How could you not go? How could anybody who is in a relationship with this risen, victorious Lord and Savior not go? How would it be that you would have to be commanded to go? See, the word go here is not in the imperative. It's not a command. That's not the type of verb it is. It's the type of verb that describes an action that you have already taken because of that which has just been said. Because the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords has risen victorious from the dead, the church will by its very nature go. Nobody needs to instruct the church to go to proclaim the victory of Jesus Christ. That we do by nature, having gone. And as we go, note this one of all authority, this one of all power, goes with us. Verse 20, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This one of all power who understands that we are going to be going says, and I accompany you. I'm with you. It's not like celebrate going back to the sports illustration. It's not like celebrating out of the streets on your own. The team's there with you. You've got those colors on. You've got the weird hats on. Because you're willing to identify yourself with the one who is the victor. The one who not only is victorious, but is still with you, has not left you. All authority. Under his authority, this commission you see is now given. He has the right to tell us that which we are to do. It's his authority. You can't question this. You can't say, I don't know if Jesus has the right to tell the church. Of course he has the right. All authority, all power has been given to him. And we willingly, gladly, Climbing over one another to get to the next person to tell them, we won! We won! We can't wait to proclaim the good news. Under his authority. To what? To serve. This is now the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth. This is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. What do you do? You serve him. How do we serve? How do we serve this one 
of such great a power? How do we serve this one of all authority? How do we serve this great victor? We go. Well, we go and do what? We serve. How? By discipling others. That's how we serve. By training others. This is the commission. This is what it is. This is the nuts and bolts. The rest of this is Jesus' explanation as to how you do this. How do you fulfill this responsibility? This service that I am calling you into. But here's the service. Here's the responsibility. Here is the thing the church cannot shirk. Here is the thing the church cannot turn away from. We, as the church of Jesus Christ, have the responsibility to serve by discipling. That's it. We are to disciple others. And if we're not discipling people, then we are not fulfilling this commission. Now think about that. Think about, think about now what Jesus is saying. See, a lot of people would look at this and say, well, the responsibility is to go. We fulfill the responsibility by going. No, that's not even a command. That's an assumption on Jesus' part. Jesus assumes we're going to go. That which we are called to do, which we may not think is our responsibility, which we may not think is our duty, which may not come natural to us, is that we must serve by discipling others. Now, how do you disciple others? Jesus explained. By baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and by teaching. See, there are not four commands given. Go, disciple, baptize, teach. Go is not the command. Disciple is the command. How do I disciple others? By baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And by teaching them to obey all that Jesus has commanded. You understand the implication of what Jesus has just said? See, it's not, well, we got to get these people a lot of information. They've got to really know and understand everything. Then maybe we'll let them be baptized. Well, as one author put it, if Jesus were speaking, and giving a command, giving a commission to the Jewish people, what would this be? 
it would sound like this. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Having gone, therefore, make disciples of all nations, circumcising them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. What's the implication? Jesus is saying this begins with children. That's where this begins. This is not apart from that which happens in the context of our homes and of the church of Jesus Christ and of our school. This is not apart from that. This is part of the Great Commission. Is there a part outside? Absolutely. But that doesn't negate the responsibility of here. You baptize, you teach. What are you doing when you baptize and teach? You are discipling. What are we doing then? We're serving. We're fulfilling the commission that Christ has given to us as the church. That we are called to disciple others. To bring them to that relationship where they know and understand Jesus Christ. Teaching them to give instruction to in an orderly, methodical fashion. So that they grow and deepen in their understanding. So that we take adults and we grow them and deepen them in their understanding of the truth of God's word. That work is never finished. What does it say? This great commission. That it is under his authority. That it is a call to serve by discipling others through baptism, through teaching, and to do so without limitations. There is no wall, no barrier that is to be erected to keep the church from doing that which it is called to do. Therefore, make disciples of all nations, of all nations. In Acts, pardon for the reference back for those of you Thursday night. In Acts, we have go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. What does that sound like to Peter? What does a first century Jew hear when Jesus says to him, Peter, you are to go to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the world. What's Jerusalem? It's the place of persecution. It's the place of highest and deepest hostility to Christ. Peter, I don't want you to shy away. 
John, don't shy away from Jerusalem. Don't shy away from those places where hostility to the gospel runs the deepest. Go. Go there. Disciple there. Bring the gospel there. I mean, even places where they might persecute us? Yes, even places where they might persecute us. See, it's safe away from Jerusalem. It's difficult in Jerusalem. Go to Jerusalem. Then you want us to stay here where there's soldiers running around and the chief priests are looking for us? Yeah, stay here. What do we do here? Disciple. Baptize people into the name of the triune God and teach them. I'm with you. I'm with you. Don't be afraid. What does it sound like to go to Judea and to Samaria? To Judea, it's a, it's a bunch of people who have ignored Christ. He has done all these great miracles. What does he say about Capernaum? If that which had been done in you had been done in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented. Yeah, that's where you need to go. You also got to work with the Samaritans. Samaritans, they're dirty people. They're, they're, they're dirty people. They're, they're uncouth. Yeah, I want you to go there. I want you to take the gospel there. I want you to go there. I want you to go to the Judeas of your life. I want you to go to the Judeas or to the Samarias of your life. I want you to go to those places with the gospel. And what? Disciple people. Baptize them. They too can be part of the kingdom. Baptize them. Teach them. Don't rule anybody out. And oh, go to the ends of the world. First century Jewish interpretation. Gentiles. Samaritans is one thing. They got some Jewish blood. We don't like it, but some. Gentiles. Even them? Even them. See, there's no limitation. There's no limitation. It's not like, nope, just here, just here, just here. No. Here. There, 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 everywhere. After all, if your team just won the championship, you wouldn't care the economic background. You wouldn't care the color of a person's skin. You wouldn't care their ethnic heritage. You wouldn't even care what religion they are. You just want to tell them, we won! Without limitation. That's what Jesus is calling us as the church to. Don't put a bar across and say, nope, nope, not there, never there, nope, that's not right. Only here. Don't say only here and never here. Don't say never there and only here. No limitations. To all nations. See, it's not just directional. 
This isn't a geography lesson by Jesus. This is a situational lesson by Jesus. He's teaching them that in every situation, no matter who it is that they encounter, and no matter where it is that the church goes, they are to go to disciple, baptizing and teaching. No limitations as well to what is taught. Teaching them, well, yeah, just give them five verses out of Romans. Just teach them five verses out of Romans and that's it. Boy, once they, once they know those five verses, and then you can baptize them and then you can move on and find some other people. No, teach them all that I have commanded to you. I just read an article in the, the newest uh, Answers in Genesis magazine that that Ken Ham is coming out with a new evangelism program that begins with, in the beginning, God. All, all, all that I have commanded. Not just a few favorite texts here and there and then call it good. You, do you see the responsibility the church has here? Do you see the call that is placed upon us? And we can never say, our job is done. We can never say, we're finished. This is the call, this is the commission that has been before the church for some 2,000 years. And it's going to be there and continue to be there for as long as it takes until that last individual comes to know Christ. And Christ comes again. Until that time, this call to serve by discipling through baptism and teaching all that Jesus has commanded. The gospel, the word, the truth. This is what we bring to others. This is what we are to strive to do with excellence. Father, we thank you. What a marvelous thing it is that through your Son, you have called us as the church to this wonderful, blessed responsibility. May we be faithful. May we be faithful. May we enjoy. May we find great joy and satisfaction in serving by discipling others. May the church of Jesus Christ, not just here at Little Farms, but may the church of Jesus Christ within our denomination, cross-denominations, May the church of Jesus Christ, wherever she exists, Father, find joy in bringing the message of the gospel and of discipling, discipling those in this world. Father, how we thank you. That you've given to us the Holy Spirit. 
your continual, ongoing power to fulfill this great and glorious task. May we do so, Father, with great joy and with great zeal. In Christ's name, God's people say, Amen.